It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals Post Game Edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports commerce and editor with Rick Boring. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Rick, it, it looked easy for a bit. It got dicey for a bit. Then it looked easier, and all told, it was an easy Bengals win. But there's still a lot to unpack good and now we've got a little maybe controversy at corner we can talk about, but all told, Joe Burrow, when he gets rolling, it's just silly. I have to wonder, I found myself wondering this after the game, is this what Patriots fans felt like all those years during right. the Tom Brady era? Right. And not, not to say the Bengals are at that level and they've won Super Bowls. I, I understand there's a huge difference between the two, but just knowing that you have the talent at quarterback to just completely take over and dominate, even when things haven't looked all that great to start the year necessarily. And it feels like, oh, is this offense going to get it to in gear or not? You see what he's done the last two weeks, and it's just like, that's such a great feeling. And you always kind of had that feeling in, in the back of your mind, like at some point Burrow will figure this out because we saw it last year. He's just that good. Yeah, and I think, and we're all guilty of this, right? Myself included of snap judgments after one week, two weeks of – you know, maybe not allowing teams in the NFL to figure it out because you say, oh, well, they should be able to figure it out. They're paid handsomely to figure it out, and they got star players to f- figure it out. Well, it just, it's, I guess it's never that easy, right? And so last week we saw the RPO game. We saw a lot of stuff under shotgun. Today was a lot of shotgun, although he actually did take 14 snaps under center, but a lot of that when the game was decided. I mean, it was really, today was more spreading it out in shotgun, not going as much RPO. And, Atlanta decided, well, okay, if you're going to go shotgun, we're going to blitz. And then he sees one-on-one, and he just picked them apart. I'll be honest. I I said, I've said i said this before. I said next to, to Paul Daner and Jay Morrison in the press box uh, during games and Charlie Goldsmith. And at one point, I just said, I've never seen an NFL game where more wide receivers are running that wide open in my lifetime. I mean, it felt like it was, it was you were playing the best kids in the neighborhood against the worst who just couldn't match up. Yeah, and part of that is because they're a little bit depleted right Correct. now on the Correct. defensive side, and and th- that is what it is. But still, in the NFL, guys are getting paid money either way to play, and if you're going up against the depleted team, you better take advantage of that, and yep. the Bengals were able to do that today. You mentioned that it being a matter of time, and these guys need a little bit of a, a grace period there at the beginning of the season. I've seen that sentiment a, a little bit online today after this one, and I wonder, do you think it was – always a matter of time and guys getting more comfortable and figuring it out? Or do you think it was more a matter of Taylor and his staff changing up their strategy on offense? Because I think I lean towards the latter side of this. I I, think they could have started the season much closer to this if they would have committed to this style of play right away. Yeah, I I think both can be true. Um, I I think some of it was the offensive line didn't play very well early on. And so you were afraid to put yourself in five-man protections. And if we go back... And Zach alluded to it, I can't remember, it was either Monday or Wednesday, and it didn't sound like an excuse. I knew what he was talking about. Um, you know, they, they kind of went to this, that, that, that kind of spread shotgun stuff against Dallas, and they couldn't protect in five-man protections, and they were getting just beat up at the point of attack. I think some of that was the feeling, out. okay, so what does this line do well? And how can we ease them in? How can we get them to gel as a group? And you're finally starting to see it. And again, the RPOs were a great way to do it last week. Okay, now I trust those guys a little bit more. And oh, you guys want to blitz? All right, I'm going to trust them to pick up some of the blitzers and Joe to pick up the free runners. And occasionally, Joe Mixon to at least be a a parking cone and and at least get in front of somebody. He may not block them, but at least get in front of somebody and make it harder. And so then there's the trust factor of that. And I do think, I think that's maybe the problem in the NFL today in general, Rick, is 
there's just so much roster turnover every year because of free agency that you just don't have enough continuity to figure out, oh, we can hit the ground running the next year. It just, I think it's hard to do that. And I think that's where there is a great feeling out process. And I think good coaching staffs figured out. I mean, you know, you remember the, the great year, whatever it was, five, six years ago, Belichick's got Brady and a pretty good crew coming back. And remember they got beat in Kansas City and it was the great line of, we're on to Cincinnati, and they were trying to figure out. Kansas City last year early on, new offensive line. They paid all that money for Joe Tooney and other guys. Oh, they should be much better. Well, they weren't right away. It took them a while to figure out how to get things going, and I think that's where we kind of are with the league right now. I think that's fair, and I think there's a lot to that. But I also think, to some extent, and and I give Zach Taylor and his staff credit for adjusting this year when things weren't going well early and changing up what they're doing offensively. Yep. But I also would criticize them to some extent because I feel like this year was almost a, a replay of last year. Now, they switched quicker and they they committed to just putting everything in Joe Burrow's hands and making that their identity earlier this year than they did last year. But the start of this year felt very and the struggles they had felt very similar to what we talked about last year up until the bye week, really. So. Yes, I think there there was a feeling out process that had to take place. And yes, I think part of the, that was the staff getting comfortable with what this group would do well. But you still knew you had Joe Burrow, those receivers, Joe Mixon, and you added Hayden Hurst coming into the year. So to some extent, you did know what you had to work with, and you knew exactly what they were capable of. And you kind of you knew did. what your identity could you be. See, I don't think you did. I, I think they thought we we're going to be an under center wide zone running team that's going to have, and I, I mentioned it, I thought Joe Mixon was going to have an off-the-charts year, and I think they thought that too, and then they were going to do all the play action and bootlegs and stuff off of that. So would you, would, you say that's, would you say that they were a little bit overestimating how good the, the run game was going to be because yes. of the new free agent acquisitions yeah, then, and basically? That's my, and that's my point, because you really don't, you think you know, but you don't know till you see it under fire, and then after a few weeks, you're like, okay, well, this isn't going to work. We got to figure out a way to get this to work. And I think they did it sooner rather than later, which is which is the positive to this. And I think that may be fair. If the, if the argument is, look, the whole point of this offseason was to upgrade the offensive line to take pressure off Joe Burrow. And part of doing that was having a more dominant run game so you could play under center, use play action, and take some heat off Joe Burrow to keep the defense on their heels more. And it just didn't work out because the offensive line and the run game wasn't what we thought it was going to be then I think that's a fair argument and kudos to them for adjusting as soon as they did, because clearly this is what works and this is what they should be doing yes. right now with the group that yeah. they have. Let's go back to the end of the first quarter and start of the second quarter. Burrow hits chase for that 32 yard touchdown pass, to put the Bengals up 21, nothing. The Falcons responded with a 16 play drive that took 10 minutes about off the clock. And they eventually punch it in from the one, make it 21 to seven. Well, Bengals fire right back. Burrow finds Chase again, 41-yard touchdown. It's 28-7. to And at this point, there are 49 seconds left in the half. And you mentioned things got a little dicey. For most of this game, it was completely in control, and you never really thought about what the outcome was going to be. This 49-second period right into halftime led to some angst. What were you thinking when the Bengals proceeded to get outscored 10 nothing in those final 49 seconds. Yeah, I mean, the, the fear of, are you really going to do this and choke this away? Because, you know, it was a coverage bust. Can't happen. Um, we still don't know if that was completely on Eli Apple, although we'll discuss that a little bit more in depth in a bit, or was Jesse Bates late and coming over. But it was a bust for sure because the kid ran right by him. And then yeah, the clock management wasn't great. I appreciate them trying to, to push it down the field, but at some point you probably needed to run a play to take a little clock off when you weren't in great down and distance. 
And, you know, then the special teams has a letdown and voila. And you look up and you go, oh, that's right. Atlanta gets the ball to start the second half. But that's where this defense, I, I don't get it. It's weird. I mean, that's the second half dominance is just absurd. 40 yards, three first downs allowed. I asked Mike Hilton, you know, did, did you guys feel like, hey, it's on you to get a, get a stop? And, and did you feel okay? And he said, yeah, we kind of came in and just took a deep breath and went, all right, they got us on one play. The punt return gave them three other points. They did have one drive, but other than that, we're pretty good. We feel pretty good. And then, you know, you say that, you probably say that as a group, and then you come out and get a three and out, and then you get another three and out. And in between there, the Bengals get a touchdown. And at that point, at 35-17, you were back in control. But, yeah, that end of the first half left you feeling a little bit, oh, they're not really going to gag this thing away, are they? In some respects, it did feel that way. But at the same time, they were so dominant in that first half that I tweeted like this, like, well, just go score 50 points in this game like you're capable of. And you'll never remember that those couple minutes happened. And that's almost what they did. And, right. and I kind of had that feeling all along. It was like, that's not going to matter because they are completely outclassing Atlanta today. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they got stopped on that fourth and one. Um, on their first drive of the second half, then got the other three and out when got a touchdown. So if you get something out of that fourth and one series, and then at the end of the game, in theory, if they had to or might have, and I think they were trying, they look like they were trying to punch it in, and it got to the point where you know it wasn't worth it to punch it in or whatever. Uh, I mean, you're looking at you know maybe 49 points there without really even batting an eye. Yeah, you just feel fortunate that this wasn't one of those games where they get off to that really sluggish start and they have three or four three and outs to start the, the game before they really get it going on offense. Because if that would have happened and you had those final 49 seconds of a half where you give up 10 points back to back real quick like that, then all of a sudden that's problematic and you've really got yourself a hole. But I mean, they were so in control of this one and had it rolling already offensively that I was never really worried that this game was actually no. going to be in question. No. And, and I think, that, I think we talked about on our, on our weekly podcast, the fact that if you got a chance to take the ball first, take it, try to establish the lead, you know, don't let Atlanta play from ahead and Atlanta never got a chance to play from ahead. Um, you know, it was funny. I mean, Rick, when it got to 35, 17, I, I saw a, a tweet from one of the media members, Atlanta, remember they, they went kind of methodical again and, and they were trying to, you know, do what they do to drive the ball down the field. And somebody, somebody tweeted out, does Atlanta know it's losing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it was I, a little it, bit ridiculous at a certain weird. point. Yeah, it was weird. Right. So, yeah, um, I, I think the only fear that you would have had at the end of that half was, okay, you, you watched him just march down the field um, in, in ten and took 10 minutes off the clock and really just pushed you around. They had 52 yards rushing on 12 carries on that drive. Um, then, you know, they hit the big play. Then they get the field goal. So three straight drives, they score points. And like I said, all of a sudden, they that's the thing that was interesting. I thought, okay, they can get back into their offense to start the second half. Now they're only down 11, which is nothing when you have the ball to start a half. We've seen that with the Bengals this year and a lot of teams. Um, and the Bengals never let them get back into the flow of things and credit to that defense. They got one yard on that opening drive of the second half. And it's like, okay, things are, you know, it's right back where you want. I mean, you look at those drives that the Falcons had in the second half. They went nowhere. Nowhere. The whole half basically. Three first downs and 40 yards, man. Yeah. Uh, just an outstanding performance. Well, while we're on the topic of, of the defense, let's talk about the cornerback situation that's developing because Cam Taylor Britt, was rotating in for Eli Apple early in this game, and he ended up with more snaps overall. What do you make of that? Is is the rookie about to take over that spot, or was there something else going on with this matchup, or Eli Apple being nicked up? What do you think's playing out here? I think there's a couple of things in play. I mean, Eli didn't play great last week uh, against New Orleans, and uh, the other part is you drafted Cam Taylor Britt to be a starter. I mean, Eli's only on a one-year deal, so you were thinking, hey, we need a guy as a veteran. We're going to draft a potential replacement. Then the kid gets hurt. 
you know, then he comes back and they, they make him play quarterback for, for two straight weeks to emulate Lamar and Taysom Hill. Um, and so I think this was probably the natural grooming process of eventually replacing Eli, but I think Eli's performance kind of facilitated this coming a little quicker. Now, I will say when, when Cam came in the game the first time, it was 21 nothing. Uh, five seconds into the second quarter. And at the time, I, you know, I said it out loud to guys around me. I said, oh, I said, good time to probably get the kid a little bit of snaps. It makes sense. It's, you know, you got him backed up in negative territory. You know, you don't, you don't put stress on him. And if you remember on that drive, when they got to the red zone, that was that 10-minute drive we talked about, Rick. When they got to the red zone, Eli came in in the red zone. So Lou Anarumo decided, all right, the kid's done enough. And it wasn't his fault. I mean, they ran the ball. They didn't throw it on him. But it was like, all right, let me get my veteran guy back in there. And then when he gave up that long touchdown to, to start the, 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 or at the end of the half, then Eli starts the second half and really didn't do anything negative, but it was almost like, all right, let's get the kid back in there again. And at that point, they kind of left him in there. And while Zach Taylor said that was the plan to get him snaps, uh, Cam Taylor-Britt said he wasn't overly surprised he played, but he was never told he was going to play. He did rep some with the ones this week. But I do think, to answer the question, I think you're slow. We're going to talk, I mean, Hopefully, we've asked for Lou Anarumo tomorrow. We usually get a coordinator on Monday, and he'll he'll do it. I'll be interested to hear his answer. I I know he loves Eli. He's a champion for Eli. You can't bury Eli because you're still going to need in this league. You may need him to be a key guy again at some point. But I think you're slowly seeing the natural evolution of maybe after the bye week of Cam Tiller-Britt's a starter and Eli Apple's your your fourth corner, technically. This happening today during the game is more notable to you media types that are in the locker room frequently and talking to the staff frequently. And I think that's because you guys understand how against this Lou Anarumo has been. Yes. It comes to rotating his corners. He, during he the game. said, I don't like road. Cause he was asked about Dax Hill and he snapped. It was my friend, Jay Morrison asked, and it, it, Lou, uh, he when he snapped, he kind of apologized. But he he just asked about a couple weeks ago about you know rotating Dax or Cam in, and he talked about how he doesn't like to do that. That he didn't really do that with Xavier Howard in Miami initially. That it came to the point of I got to play the kid, so he had to throw him out there um, and let him sink or swim. And he goes, the kid was good enough to to to, to swim, so uh, he doesn't like to do it. You can argue, well, you draft these guys for a reason, but the other part to it is you got to get a trust factor and little by little, you know, maybe these guys are showing some. I think Dak's got a handful of snaps today and some three safety looks. Maybe you see some more of that, but you're right. He doesn't want to rotate guys like this. He doesn't. So I thought it was significant that Cam played. Yeah. It's, I think it speaks to their talent level because it's not like Eli Apple has been a disaster this year. The defense has been very good. Right. Mostly. So Eli Apple's had his moments as he always does, but overall he's been kind of, you expected him to be, and the defense has been fine. So that combined with Lou Anarumo being so adamant that he doesn't want to rotate those guys. I think a lot of people would just say, oh, what? You got a highly drafted rookie. Eli Apple isn't a stud by any means. So you rotate him in a little bit, but that's not how things have operated under Lou Anarumo. So, I mean, I think this speaks to the type of talent that you might be dealing with in, in not just Taylor Britt, but also Dax. Yeah, that's why I'm so interested tomorrow to find out was the busted coverage Eli or was Jesse Bates late coming over and was supposed to slide there and did that lead to the benching I don't think I'm going to get a complete honest answer I think I will on the part of who was the blame for the touchdown but I I do think like I said I think he I think the kid's done enough to say all right let's see what you got dude one of the other younger guys that 
splashed in this game in the second half was Joseph Osai when he came through with a sack finally. He's he's had some pressures and he's been close a few times already this season, but that was his first sack of his career. Uh, not much else to speak of other than that, but it felt like it was only a matter of time before he finally got one. Yeah, no, I, I was. I mean, that that was great to see, and and you know, depending on the Trey Hendrickson injury situation with his neck, I mean, if this is long term or whatever short term, even if it's a game, I mean, does Joseph then get uh, a handful more snaps on, on third downs? I will say, I, I gave my defensive game balls, and people can go read it at local12.com. The the my fifth quarter analysis. Filet and and to Zach Carter. I mean, I thought those two guys, and statistically they were good, and I thought they stood in there pretty good against the run game, right? Yeah, that was Jay Tufele, you said? Yes. And Zach Carter, yeah, you cut out there just a little bit. But, uh, you know, it, the, the Hendrickson thing, obviously he's been so good for this defense, and that's that was big news when he went down, didn't return in the game. Did they have any more details at all after the game was over? No, no just, just, just the neck, and we'll know more tomorrow. And I think that's an honest answer. A lot of times, as I've talked about, guys don't really know completely. You may get an initial diagnosis, but you don't want to say – without knowing the full diagnosis and in a deeper dive into it. I mean, you saw Trey walk off the field and he was pissed at somebody. I mean, he was mad at some offensive lineman for, for Atlanta. The injury starting to pile up. You have reader, you have Logan Wilson. If Hendrickson is out too, all of a sudden, those are maybe your three top guys so far. Yep, that, the but way I, things have been going this year. Jumping the gun on this. I think reader plays at Cleveland. Well, that'd be great to get him back. That'd be huge. Uh, it, it seemed like Akeem Davis Gaither played pretty well at linebacker. Yeah. He led the team with nine tackles, seven solos. What'd you think of him? Yeah, I mean, Rick, he started two games this year. He started against the Jets, which apparently are pretty good. <laughs> they keep winning games. And this game, and he led him in tackles in both games. Now, that can be coincidence. That can be circumstance. But all I know is the kid's done great. He was around the ball a lot. That's all I know. I don't know if it's because teams are going after him a little bit, but he seems to be making the plays when they're trying. So uh, picking on him has not exactly worked for opposing defenses, I don't think, when he's been in there. And he's not a huge run stuffer. I mean, he's more of probably in a specialized world, a great third down guy, but he's stuck his nose in there in a run game and done fine. Let's go back to the offensive side of the ball because there were just some silly numbers that I know everyone's going to be talking about, them, but we got a hit on them. Joe Burrow goes 34 of 42 for 481 yards, three touchdowns. He rushes for another touchdown. He gets over 500 yards total if you, you factor in the rushing yards. And that number is crazy skinny, but I think what might be even more crazy is the 81% completion percentage on these passes. I mean, he, he has just been a joke with his accuracy the last two weeks. Yeah, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but it is one of my three numbers of note from this game, so shame on me. I know his passer rating in the last two games combined is 133.1. I know people hate passer rating, but it is a metric, so I you know it's worth using. I think I'm doing this off the top of my head. He's 69 of 70, 75, 76 point something percent for 781 yards, Eight touchdowns, no interceptions, and two rushing touchdowns. The sneak today and the scramble at New Orleans. That's like going back to, to Athens Plains High School, wherever the hell he went. I mean, I'm not sure he did that in back-to-back -back games there, for goodness sakes. It would be hard to. he did that in back-to-back -back games at LSU. Yeah, I mean, j just insane the type of numbers that he's putting up and how on the money some of these throws have been. I mean, that long touchdown to Jamar Chase – Chase mentioned that he said it was the best ball that Burrow's ever thrown in. Yeah, the deep ball to the right pylon or the the deep the, back the pylon. Shoulder? Yeah, no, the well, pylon. Yeah, the the back shoulder throw was great too. And then Chase makes an even better play, sticking his foot in the ground and cutting across the field and outrunning everybody. 
Yeah. Well, and and even the catch on the one too that that he said was the best ball from Burrow, where he's at the pylon. I mean, he's it looked like he was matched up one on one, but he also yeah. had to take a hit from the safety that was yep. coming over the top at the goal line, and he he held on to that ball and looked like it was tough as he was hitting the ground to do so. Yeah, it was I think absurd I th- again. Yeah, I think ESPN stats and info had that or whatever whatever stats they have next gen whatever was a 19% um, uh, catch potential on that throw. That's how tight the window was. Which was the the lowest so far of their career together, That's I crazy. believe. That's yeah. crazy. Uh, Tyler Boyd, eight catches, 155 yards. He had a touchdown. Jamar Chase, eight catches, 130 yards. He had two touchdowns. And T. Higgins goes for uh, a measly five catches, 93 yards. They tried I, to get him 100, and, and they talked about it. The receivers all talked about it after the game. They tried to get him 100. They knew. It feels like a lot of times when you're watching this offense, you'll say Jamar Chase. How is the other team going to start stop Jamar Chase and one of the other guys at a time? Because usually one of them has it going. Today it was all three of them. Even Hayden uh, Hurst was getting in on the action I, too. I'll go all five of them. Yeah, the Mixon. Mixon, yeah, that one play across the middle where he caught the short pass and turned it into a 20-yard-plus game. Well, it, it, that's a good point because something that gets lost in today's performance and the, the offense, the way it was designed the last two weeks with them going shotgun heavy – is Mixon had 91 combined rushing receiving yards and a touchdown on 20 touches today. Yeah. If you can't get them combined for three catches for over 30 to 40 yards in that range somewhere, in addition to go with his 15 to 20 carries, that's a perfect role for him. And you're giving him the ball plenty and giving him a chance to to break a play and, and get out in space and make some guys miss or run over a defensive back. I am absolutely fine with them using him the way he was used today. Agreed, and then they kind of used him a little bit to close the game out. They got under center, ran the ball, ran some power stuff. Um, it didn't add to a big total for him on the ground, but it gave him enough touches to, to, to I think, appease him. I, I think he gets it. I, I do. Um, the one thing, though, good Lord, he's got to be a better pass blocker. Yeah, that would be nice to see at times. He's, he's whiffing on some of these blitz oh, pickups. Brutal. But to go back to your point about that fourth-quarter drive – that was impressive too, because if you're going to go to this pass happy offense, you're going to be in the shotgun all the time. And you're going to do that all game. Then when it's winning time and you're in the fourth quarter with a handful of minutes left and you want to try to kill some clock, you got to be able to find a way to do that. They did it to perfection here at the end of this one and put the game away. Like it was no problem at all. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the perfect scenario. That's where I thought they'd do more of that this year. That's why I thought Joe Mixon would have the season. I thought he'd have, I still think he's going to have a couple of big games. that are going to pop eventually. Um, I mean, it's it's now being said in the right. I mean, Tyler said it to us today. He didn't say pick your poison, but he said, hey, you know, you got to find a way to stop us now and, and, and good luck doing that. And he's right. I mean, it sounds cocky and arrogant, but it's, it's right at this point. You 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 gave an adjustment to them to start the season. They had a little time to gel and try to figure it out. Now they've adjusted to you guys. Now, how are you going to stop it? Honestly, how are you going to stop it? Well, that's that's a good point, because. We saw teams playing almost exclusively cover two deep zone stuff against the Bengals to start the season when they were struggling. The last two weeks, we've seen the Saints and the Falcons come out of that a little bit more. Do you think that was because Burrow was just so accurate on the short and intermediate yes. stuff that they were doing to where it's like we we got to get out of it and do something different because we're getting torched? Or is it just because those teams didn't believe in it as much or didn't have the personnel to do it as well. Yeah. Well, I think again, you go back to the Dallas game schematically, there were no RPOs really in that game to my now. I'd have to go back and look at the tape, but that wasn't a big part of the game. It was Joe in the gun. It was Joe trying to, to make quick passes 
where Dallas said, well, we're just going to rush five and Micah Parsons is going to kick your ass and it's not going to matter what you do because he's going to get home and we're going to lock you up short and you won't have time to throw over the top. And that was what kind of what Zach alluded to of in that game, we wanted to take some shots. We had no time to take shots. And I think that was a little damning of the offensive line, but I think that was the whole, hey guys, we were trying to push the ball down the field. We couldn't. And so now when you went to the RPOs, it was like, all right, let's slow down the rush a little bit. And when they had that success in the Baltimore game doing that, it was, um, hey, uh, uh, I can't, whoever they, uh, New Orleans, we're going to do this to an even greater extent with RPOs, and we're going to slow your linebackers down even more and throw behind you. And once you did that, again, you want to let them dink and dunk you up the field? That's fine. You can do it. Atlanta chose today to say, no, you're going to give us five-man protections and spread five people all over the field or put a bad blocking running back in there to try to pick up blitzes we're going to come try to blow up your quarterback. Well, they they didn't, and he picked them apart in man-to-man coverage. And so now they've got answers for too high. They get answers for teams blitzing. They get answers for light boxes and run the ball. They got answers for a lot of different things at the moment. Now, we talked about them getting off to a good start during this important stretch of maybe six games, call it, before the schedule seems to get really tough. Although... You look at what's going on with the Bucks. Maybe you'll you'll get an easier game than you expected yeah, right. there late in the Ooh. year. <laughs> they, they just lost to the Panthers, and it wasn't pretty. Um, but the Bengals will go to Cleveland for Monday Night Football next week on Halloween night. This is a big game because the Bengals can really bury the Browns in the AFC they North can. race if after that loss to the Ravens today. Yeah, I mean, you get to five and three with this win. You put them at two and six. It don't matter what Deshaun Watson. I again, I've thought, I don't think they're going to be great when Deshaun Watson comes back anyway, just because of rust. And, and I'm not even a huge fan of Deshaun Watson's. I think he's a talent, but I'm not sure he's a winning talent. Um, but bottom line is, yeah, you can bury them. And suddenly, you know, God love Pittsburgh. They're, they're, they, 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 he, Mike Tomlin, I love him. I think he's a great coach, but they, they're not going to be around. It becomes a two-team race at that point. And that's kind of what you wanted, um, you know. And, and if, you can, if you can milk your way to six and three at the bye within road games with Pittsburgh and um, milk toast Tennessee, which you know they're in first place in their division, but nobody thinks they're 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 great. You, as we mentioned, you got a chance to look up and be seven and four and eight and three. Um, Ten wins wins the division. Can you squeeze two more wins out of that? New England, Tampa, some home games along the way. Can you squeeze two more, two more wins out of it? I think you can. I think so too. Skinny, anything else to wrap this one up? No, it was. Uh, I mean, I, it was it, it it was silly to watch. I've just never watched wide receivers run that open, and. Um, I'm a big fan of this defense. I've been high on them since day one. They gave up one big play, one big drive, and they literally dominated the rest. Again, this is not a great Atlanta offense. They're not great on the outside. They Kyle Pitts got nothing today. They didn't run the ball the way they've run it. Um, but, but but this defense, I don't think it's a cool – you know, you can argue there's a statistical anomaly sometimes, Rick, right, where you go, ah, that's only a few – we're seven games into this season. They have not allowed a second-half touchdown. That's I don't think that's by luck, is well, it? And, and it goes all the way back to last year, too. Right. They, they were doing the same thing last year in the second half of the year. I, it's hard to imagine that there isn't something to what Lou Anarumo is doing. And we talked about this last week on the podcast that I, I hate when fans talk about halftime adjustments, but I do he, too. he's got to be doing something. Well, he, he did talk to us a, a couple weeks ago about – you know, they're really good on the sidelines in his opinion of adjusting series to series. And I think you see that too. Cause he's like, he did, he goes, he goes, halftime's so short, you barely get in there, make a couple things, and you out, out you go. And he's right. All right. That's all I got. All right. Good stuff, Rick. Thanks as always. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back. 
This Wednesday with the podcast, it's a different Bengals week, so we'll do this podcast on Wednesday, our potpourri podcast. A lot to get to, a lot of college basketball as we start to heat up with secret scrimmages and Kentucky's blue-white game. And NKU has an exhibition Monday. Yeah, that's right, exhibition Monday. So, yeah, we got a lot to to talk about college basketball-wise. So we'll be back on Wednesday with that podcast. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals Recap Edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Board.